Please be seated. If you'd like to uh, turn to Hebrews in the blue Bible, the one in front of you is 1275. That's where we, we will begin, 1275. Thank you for those leading children's church, and may you be blessed, those going to children's church. So 1275, so we're going to be at Hebrews 1, the beginning of the book of Hebrews. So this morning, we will begin a series on the letter uh, to the Hebrews. And I expect that this series will take us through the rest of the summer and through the fall. And I was going to say something about, I know it's summer, you know, people go and come, but I think uh, I think the, the letter will stand on its own, and I don't think you'll lose traction if you happen to be gone. So nonetheless, the way I try to map it out is the rest of the summer and lead us right up to um, Thanksgiving and then on to the Advent season. Lord willing, that's what will occur. So by way of introduction to the letter of Hebrews, let me quote this from Philip Hughes. Quote, it is true that the letter to Hebrews has been the battleground of discordant opinion and conjecture. Its author is unknown, its occasion unstated, and its destination disputed. But these are matters at the periphery, not the heart of the book's importance. All are agreed on the intrinsic nobility of its doctrine, The writer's mastery of Greek is unmatched elsewhere in the New Testament, and his powerfully argued development of fundamental theological themes indicates the exceptional exceptional quality of his intellect. His language in Westcott's judgment is both in vocabulary and style purer and more vigorous than any other book of the New Testament. He has a sense of literary nicety, which enters into his earnest religious argument without rendering it artificial or over-elaborate. He has an art of words, which is more than unconscious sense of rhythm. He has the style of a trained speaker. It is style yet style at the command of a devout genius. So I ask you to please join me as I read um, from Hebrews 1.1 through 2.4, but then we'll come back and focus only on 1.1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, 
and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness and beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to to his will. So here we have a literary genius, but for what purpose did he write? William Lane said, Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians whose world was falling apart. Their Italian locus or location is most probable because in the closing paragraphs of Hebrews, the author conveys the greeting of several Italian Christians who were with him. This is the verse. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. That's Hebrews 13.24. Thus supporting the idea that, that that harried little church was on Italian soil very likely in or around Rome. Falling, falling apart, drifting. Why do we drift? Currents. Currents that move you offshore like an undertow. Sometimes very subtly you feel the tug at your, at your ankles. And sometimes with great force we drift because of the forces that come against us or the mindset that comes against us. It, it bowls us over and we are taken away. Eddie Hillisom died in a Nazi, Nazi concentration camp. Her journal was discovered after her death. In it she wrote, she writes, quote, one thing is becoming increasingly clear to me, that you cannot help us, so we must help you to help ourselves. And that is all we can manage these days, and also all that really matters, that we safeguard that little piece of you, God, and ourselves. 
and perhaps in others as well, you cannot help us, but we must help you and defend your dwelling inside us to the last. Now, that sounds noble, and I would not, I don't think I could tolerate anything that Eddie had to tolerate or others that were in those dire straits and Nazi concentration camps. That sounds noble. We're, we're going to help you, Lord, because you can't help us. But I wonder, was it the intense current of suffering that so affected Eddie's, Eddie's thinking that she reversed the roles of God and man? The Christians to whom the author wrote were beaten down, were ready to go under by the persecution of the Caesars, Claudius and Nero, over some decade. And the writer is telling us the antidote, the medicine, that which counteracts drifting is listening to God speak. So why would you start a letter? Why would the writer start a letter with such an exalted view of the Lord? Is he writing a theological treatise? Is he interested in the pearly, lofted location of a high tower separated from that which is below Why would you write such an exalted, we'll come back to it, these first four verses, which actually, my friends, is one verse, one sentence. We just carved it up a little bit. Why would you do it? Because that sentence, that statement, these truths are the antidote to drifting, to drifting whether in macro ways or in micro ways. It's the antidote to drifting. It is being moored to his words that counteract the currents of drifting. There was a story told some time back. It was about a man who fought himself, who who fought himself, um, let me get this right, it's about a man who fought because he was in a tight spot. His name was Fred, and everybody except him at the small company where he worked signed up for a new pension plan in which employees would be regarded to contribute a small amount every pay period. But the company would pay all other amounts and fees. And there was just one catch. The plan would be implemented only if there was 100% employee participation. People tried everything to convince Fred to sign up. His fellow workers alternately pleaded with him and chided him. His boss tried to persuade him, but Fred wouldn't budge. He didn't want to reduce his paycheck by a single cent. Finally, The company president called Fred to his office and said, Fred, here's a copy of the new pension plan, and here's a pen. You can sign the papers, or you can start looking for a new job because you're fired. 
And Fred signed the papers without hesitation. And then the president said, now, why wouldn't you have signed them before? And Fred said, well, sir, nobody explained it to me before quite so clearly. (laughs) Everyone listens to all kinds of voices every day. When you wake up in the morning, you listen to your alarm's voice telling you that it's time to get out of bed and prepare for the day. And after you awake, you listen to the voices of those with whom you live. You listen to the voices of your parents, your children, your brothers and sisters, not to mention your cell phone, the TV, your computer. And then you drive to work while listening to the radio voices. You listen to the traffic light, and for about eight hours, eight to ten hours or more, you listen to other voices at work. So as you can see, every day you have many voices competing for your attention. And frankly, this person said, I have learned that if I don't take care of those voices, they will take care of me. And so I would encourage us to listen to the voice that puts all other voices in perspective. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God spoke to men through men. He spoke in pieces. He spoke in parts. He spoke in whole or in completion. So I'd like to just look at this text and walk through it with you. So look at it, if you will, and notice that God spoke. God speaking. God speaking. God spoke long ago at many times and in many ways. When you listen to the original language, you can hear kind of the, the chime of it. Palumeros kai palutropos. Many times, and in piecemeal manners, and in many ways, in variety, God spoke. God spoke in the past, in portions, in different ways. You look in the scriptures, you find that God spoke to Adam. Remember, he said, where are you? He spoke to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He spoke to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is full of violence. Build an ark. He spoke to Abraham, leave your country and your kinship, kin, uh, your kinsmen and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
He spoke to Moses. God spoke in different ways, in diverse ways. He not only spoke audibly to Abraham, he spoke to Abraham in dreams. He spoke to Moses and the, and the people through the pillar of fire and the cloud, through thunder and lightning at Sinai. He spoke to Ezekiel through visions. He spoke to Daniel through dreams. He spoke to J Jacob through angels. He spoke by the law. He spoke by oracle to Balaam. He spoke by parable to Ezekiel. He spoke by poetry. He spoke by prophetic literature. He spoke to Malachi using questions and answers. When you stop and think about it, he's not boring. He was very creative in his speaking. And very variegated in his communication. And he gave his word over time, 1,100 years, always progressing, always continuing. He was demonstrating his desire to communicate, to demonstrate his love for his people, and to show them their need of salvation, their need of him and him alone. But notice also that the writer says he spoke in these last days. But in these last days, or at last, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken by his son. Well, how? Well, we know. We're wise. We're astute Christians. We read the Bible. We go to the Gospels and we find the incarnate son of God. And the writer goes on to notice or list seven different aspects about the incarnate Son of God. Let's just touch on them. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir, the heir of all things. Well, what does that mean? Well, he is the eternal Son of God, but as the incarnate Son of God. Do you see, do you see what God is doing? You see, God has come in his son, and as you look about and you go through generation after generation and read the history books and you, and the, and the world waxes and wanes and all of it's going on, do you know who the heir of it, all of it is, is the son. All things, John said, were created by him and for him. He's the heir. He's the Lord's anointed through whom he created the world. He created everything you see. He is the redeemer and the creator. And even us, as Ephesians said, even the redeemed are his. We are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And from redemption's perspective and from Jesus Christ incarnate perspective, Jesus is the heir. The Father has made him the heir of all things. He's the firstborn. He has the first place. He is the creator. All things were created by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Literally, when you read this, you go, it's a little astounding because you read it in the English, and it says, 
Through him, he created the world. But when the author penned it, literally, he penned it this way. Through whom he made the ages, the Ionos. You scratch your head. So what do you what do you mean? He made the ages. Bishop Westcott said in defining Ionos, he called it or defined it as the sum of the periods of time, including all that is manifested in and through him. Well, that's dense. It's he created the ages. He created everything. Now, I should have Kevin Harnett come up and give us some, some illustrations, but I want to try one, and where I'm mistaken, you correct me, but privately. You should first do that privately, and then you do it before other witnesses. You got it? Or you can bring two or three together and say, Jack, you, you blew it. But let me just uh, tiptoe in to one illustration about this existence. Not We're going Cosmo now. If the distance of the sun to the earth was a stack of paper, I wish I had a stack of paper. Yeah, don't have a stack of paper. If the distance of the sun was a stack of paper, and the distance between the earth and the sun is how many? 93 million miles. It's just a little walking apart. So if the distance of the sun to the earth, or the earth to the sun, is 93 million miles. Now, follow me. that distance would be represented by the thickness of one piece of paper. Can you, you with me? So this is represent, representing the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a piece of paper, right? The thickness of this paper. <clears throat> so the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. Take this one, make it 70 feet high, and you can travel to the nearest star. You got me? 93 times, whatever. The distance across our galaxy, or Milky Way, would be a stack of paper, like this, 310 miles high. I mean, we're just, yeah, this, this, this just starts to get... Um, beyond our brain. Some of you are just, yeah, it's just, you got it, man. But obviously, as we know, there are billions of stars, there are billions of galaxies, and the scales are so vast, we just get tired rather quickly trying to exert any comprehension, Right? But, you know, there's 100,000 light years across the Milky Way. I think that's right. Or if you want to drive in your car, you know, it might wear out. You want to take some tires with you. It's like 600 trillion miles. And I'm not sure if that's the equivalent. But So who made it all? Who made it all? Jesus made it all. So, here's another add to this. He is the radiance of God's glory. That is, the, the word is the shiny forth. He's, he's not a reflection. He's not a moon. He's not a moon. 
He's, he's the effulgence. You know, you kind of saw a glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration where his, he shone so bright, you know, as, as the brighter than any launderer could do it. But it's as if God's, God's attributes, God, God's essence is in Christ. He's the exact imprint of his nature, or the word there that we get for character, 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 that's the word, character, right? Character, yeah. And what is a character? It's the imprint. It's also described as an imprint. He's the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. And he is this inwardly. He's the hypostasis. What's that mean? That means the, the reality of God. That's why he said to Philip, You want to see, you want to see God? Philip, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. How have you seen the Father? You have seen the Father in all the qualities of God, all the attributes of God, except I graciously covered over my glory. I am not diminished. I am the eternal Son of God. I am distinct as a person from Father and Holy Spirit by all of the qualities, abilities, though fully man, yet fully God. That's your God. That's your Lord. That's your Savior. That, that's who your, your Lord is speaking to you today. Because God is speaking today. And how is he speaking? He spoke to you from listening to his word. He is speaking to you now. When we are echoing what he is saying, he's impressing on you, on your heart, on your mind. Mind too. He's speaking because he loves you. He's the exact imprint. He's the the character. He's the hypostasis. Same qualities as God the Father, God the Son. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Very interesting here is when you look at what this wonderful author wrote, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What? That's in a present tense. He's not a deist. He's not saying he made the world, spun it around, and has gone away. He made it all. And it's doing what he created it to do. It's far beyond me. You wonder, what is that when you look across the cosmos? Is it dark matter, dark energy? We don't know. It's probably somewhere way beyond our pay grade. But the reason why it's there and keeps being there is because he is actively empowering it so. And if he unplugs it, 
it all goes down. It will deflate like one of those balloon-looking things that you go by, you know, one of those stick men. <laughs> deflate like a Christmas toy, you know, a Christmas yard. So he upholds it. He, he, he bears it as the word is there. He, he made it. He sustains it. He's the power that makes it all move. He holds it all together. He is the purifier. Now and now you, he's bringing us closer. You, you, come on closer. He's the incarnate God, the Son of God. He's the purifier of what? After he made purifications for sin, but camped there, what did he do to make purifications? He was cursed. He was beaten. He was lashed. And from God the Father's perspective... Every one of our dirty transgressions, every one of our heinous sins, every one of our secret sins, every one of our overt sins, everything that we've done, He's your substitute. Everything. All of it. Past, present, future. All of it. Where I should go to hell, He did. Or you should go to hell? He did. He's the purification. He he purified us. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the, as the writer uses the word, you would know this word, he's the carthesis. He's the, you, you ever say, I need a little catharsis? He is the catharsis for your sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high as the writer concludes. And what does that mean? Except there he rules and there he intercedes for us. And to put another word on intercede, it just literally means converse. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know why father and son converse when they know everything. But I'm glad he talks about me. He needs help. He needs strength. He needs encouragement. He needs to be used. Whatever, whatever it is. He talks about you. He intercedes. He converses Father, Son, and Spirit. And then he concludes with his name is uh, better than the angels. We'll get to that. But I just will conclude with a couple of thoughts. If we could hear God talk to us right now, would that make a difference? Would it make a difference in your life if you could hear God talking to you? You know, some years ago, I was fishing with my brother Bo. That's a nickname. So Bo's an avid fisherman. He loves to fish. He's got a very nice boat. He's got all the rigs. He's got, he's got everything. He fishes in the Gulf. He fishes in the bay. He fishes all over. So he took me out in his boat, and we were fishing in the pass. What, what's the pass? Well, the Gulf of Mexico, where Pensacola is, and that's why those sailors came to that 
you know, in uh, 14-something because Pensacola is actually the oldest settlement in the United States, though it didn't last, but it is the oldest settlement in line. It predates Jamestown by 50 years, so, you know, that's why I came from there. <laughs> but in the past of Pensacola, the Gulf is coming into the, the Pensacola Bay and the bays there. And one day he said, let's go fish in the pass. I said, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a novice. I don't know. I'm not a fisherman. I don't know. So we went to the pass. And in the pass, you can feel the tug and pull of the currents. I mean, it's, it's, there's power. There's currents. Gulf Bay. And so my brother said, I know a spot. We're going to fish in the pass. He had a depth finder, fathometer. He could see the fish. He said, this is where we're going to fish. So... He, he decided, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to point the bow into where the current's coming, and I'm going to keep the throttle on. I'm going to keep the engine going. And so he kept the engine going so we wouldn't be pushed off the spot. He kept the, the power going so we wouldn't be pushed away from where we wanted to fish. And I'd like to suggest to us that... Um, as God speaks to us, as Christ has spoken to us this morning, um, and as he speaks to us, and as we listen to his word, and you have to make a lot of applications about where you are today, that you can think, I, he's, he doesn't want me pushed off. He's, he's, he is this to me. He is, he's spoken through his word. He's spoken through his son, he's spoken to us. And though the currents are always trying to push you off the spot, though the currents are trying to diminish your love or discourage you or to think you're not there, when he speaks to you and he's speaking through his word, what, just what we read, that's just who he is.